we're grateful, Chris. Thank you for putting that together. It is actually, I am so slow, it has taken me three weeks to kind of get that right in the system. Every mistake we've had this uh, series really has been something I have done wrong. So on, especially on the, we're talking about the, the online version. Um, I grew up going to church. My parents made sure that I was there. And from that, I got a pretty good understanding of what the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, what it has to do with my past. I, I got an understanding that Jesus, if I would surrender my life to him, that he would forgive my past, he would forgive my sins, they were taken care of, they were forgiven. So I can say I got a pretty good understanding of my past and what Jesus and the gospel had to do with that by growing up in the general here, we understand the American Christian church overall. They've done a pretty good job teaching that. And then they also have done a pretty good job teaching this other side over here, way over here as we look to the future teaching about what the gospel has to do with my way, 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 way out future. I, as I learned that if I would become a Christ follower and submit my life to Jesus, the past was taken care of, but then so was my future. Because I understood that the gospel meant being connected to Jesus for me, that good news meant that I would have a home forever and with Jesus in a real place called heaven. But then that left this giant middle ground in my life, the big here and now, moment by moment, day by day, day by day. I, I, really, had, I really had no idea what the gospel, re I understood here, I understood here, but I had no real idea of what the gospel meant for my everyday life. Uh, my life week by week, my life day by day, my life moment by moment. And I had this dream of a life, though, a dream that, uh, that my life would be better. And so if I was going to have this, better right, uh, this life better, then I had better get this right. Right. Yeah, so I think there's one thing that we can all agree with, whether we're sitting in this room right now, watching on Facebook, watching on YouTube, whatever. I think there's one thing we can probably all agree with, one thing that's true for all of us, Right now, at this moment, we all have dreams of a better life. We all have hopes and dreams. We all have that idea in our mind of what we want the future to hold. Uh, looking at it in a short-term perspective, a medium-term perspective, a long-term perspective. We all have future hopes and dreams. I feel relatively confident in saying that when we woke up this morning, and when for those of you that, that think, you know... I, I really hope that I get a flat tire on the way to church this morning. I really hope that happens. That would be a great way for me to start my day, that, a flat tire. Sounds, sounds really good. I doubt anybody thought that way. I doubt you thought that way when you were heading out this morning at 5 a.m. or whatever time it was that you took off. I, I feel fairly confident that when all of us got in our vehicle this morning, we didn't say, you know, man, I really hope today goes bad. I really hope this is just one of those days that when I go to bed tonight, I think, that day just went really horribly. We, we don't think that way. That's not the way our mentality goes. That's not the way our human DNA is set up, is to think that way. No one woke up this morning, and as soon as your eyes popped open, you thought, dead gummit, my heart feels good. I think I'm going to make it. 
I, I made it through another night. Doggone. I was kind of hoping I didn't wake up. <laughs> More than likely, now there may be a rogue person out there that did. I don't know. But I, I feel confident that the majority of us didn't, didn't feel that way. And since we're really thinking big, since we're really uh, trying to stretch this example to the ex- extreme more than, and, and it's going to hit home for some of us. I know for a fact it's going to hit home really close for one of us, this example. Nobody said when they woke up this morning, you know, I really hope that when I check my bank account, somebody's gotten in it and emptied it to zero. <laughs> the joke being my, that happened to my parents a couple, about, about 18 months ago. Um, so that's just not the way we're wired. We're not wired looking for the negative. None of us woke up with those hopes and those dreams for our future. Yeah, but, but the day's not over. Well, that's true. We <laughs> it, got... <laughs> you know, we, we didn't have hopes of disaster. We had dreams and hopes for a better life. We wanted a better year than last year. So far, no good. Really shooting for a good one in 21. (laughs) But we can go for this. We wanted a better week this week than we had last week. We want a better day today than we had yesterday. And if you're like most of us, then probably you dream a little bit like this for a better life, dreaming like this. It's the if-onlys. In other words, if only my supervisor would just lighten up it would be a better life. Or, and I want to give a disclaimer on this one because I'm not sure where Beth is sitting right now. Beth, Harley gave me this part, <laughs> so I didn't bring, I did not write this, okay? So I'm just going to say that. I, I felt like I needed, after last week, I felt like I needed to say that. <laughs> a disclaimer uh, for a disclaimer Beth. For I understand. Beth. I kind of was hard on her last week. You were, you were, like yeah. So anyway, or if only my spouse would take better care of me, my life would be better. My, my so you're saying that's lo- that's Beth's if only, maybe. maybe yeah, okay, okay. There, around, you there you go. <laughs> All right, how about this one? If only my kids would get a job and move out. I've been saying that for and then so maybe, long. Oh, you're you just know? a little. And then oh. maybe keep their job and then begin <laughs> to pay their bills. Then well, let's add to that maybe and if they would make better decisions then my life would be better. If only my boss would give me a raise. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that one is Just yours. Give me a yes. if I o- need more money. If only God would change them and change my circumstances around me and take care of all of these things out here, my life would be better. Right. So do, do any of those dreams, do any of the, the, the things that we just mentioned in that short list, does any of that sound familiar? Any of those dreams for a better life? Does any of that maybe strike a chord? I know a few of them did for me. Uh, not all of them, but a few of them did. So probably, hopefully, for, for you guys, uh, one or two, maybe all of those things maybe struck a chord for you. Maybe watching right now on Facebook or on YouTube, did that strike a chord for you? Are those some things that you've thought as you've dreamed for a better life. And an interesting thing as we were talking about this and, and we were kind of moving, uh, you, were, you were writing this, there were some interesting things that jumped out, which is it's interesting about dreams because oftentimes dreams, what we dream about for our, for our future, oftentimes they reveal deep secrets about us. They re- reveal uh, things that a lot of people don't know. Maybe the only people that are close to us know that nobody else does what our, really our hopes and our dreams for our future are. Uh, 
our dreams and our hopes for our future, they often reveal really what our faith is like right now, at this moment. Because they kind of give us a, a clear picture of what we're really looking forward to. And then they also, very often, they can show just how deep our faith really is. Yeah. And not only does it reveal that, what our hopes and dreams are, they also expose for us some of our sin because they expose what we really value, not what we necessarily talk about. They expose what we really value. They expose what we think and what we believe would really make us happy. And they also expose what we are, are really living for which means our hopes and dreams let us know to whom our life is really singing a love song. My hopes and dreams right now just want to bring Major League Baseball back. You I just need some again. Cardinal baseball. <laughs> is it going to happen? I, don't, I'm, I'm I haven't heard. I'm I haven't watched it. I stopped listening. I got so frustrated I need, with I need everything. Some live sports, man. Go ahead. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, then what needs to change the most is not our circumstances. What needs to change the most is not your spouse, not our kiddos, not even our supervisor, not our boss. In fact, Jesus is not... Another way of saying that, Jesus, he, he really... He's in the life-changing business. That may be another way of saying that. Jesus really wants to see my life change so that my life can become, can become exactly what the title of this series is, a love song to him. That's what he is really wanting to see from me. That's as I grow and as I change in this journey of following him. It's for the purpose of my life becoming a love song to Jesus. We, we started out with that. We do a pretty good job of the past. We do an okay job of the future. But, man, the right now, this moment by moment, this gospel void, we, we kind of we drop the ball. I, I feel like we drop the ball sometimes. And really, it all boils down to growing and changing in making our life a love song to Jesus. And he's not interested in fixing the things around us. He's not interested in fixing the circumstances that... Uh, that I have or I experience, he's really more interested in rescuing me from me. He's interested in rescuing us from ourselves. And um, every follower of Christ happens to be the central key figure, the loving focus of Christ's lifelong work of change. In fact, Paul talks about it in this very same book or the very same letter that we, we talked about last Sunday, last, last Sunday morning, 2 Corinthians. Uh, the second letter that Paul wrote that we are aware of, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church, the Christ followers in the city of Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says to them, he says, he died. Well, who's he? He's Jesus. He's saying Jesus died for everyone. Well, why? Well, he answers the question. So that those who receive his new life, so those who choose to become followers of him, will no longer live for themselves. I no longer should be living for me and for what makes me happy. Instead, Paul says, so he gives kind of that if then, if you're following Jesus, you're no longer living for yourself. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So, so that change that we're talking about, that growth and that change as we're all on this journey, of following Jesus, 
it's not about stuff that's happening around us. It's not about the circumstances or like what we talked about, you know, if my spouse would just take better care of me. Beth, I'm sorry I went back to that one. That's Beth talking about me. Again, that was a great point. I should have thought about that. That would have been a great way to go at that. Or my boss would just give me a raise or if, you know, this or whatever the case may be. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about in change in me. No longer living for me. Instead, living for Jesus. And when we do that, when we begin accomplishing that on that day-by-day, moment-by-moment, like we talked about in week one. That's when life is really becoming a love song to Jesus. But you know, some of those moments in our life, moment-by-moment, some of them just don't make sense. And if it's hard for us to, to make our lives a love song to Jesus when things right now don't make sense for us. When we get the result from the doctor that's going to change our lives forever, right? With those moments, what do we do with them? When we get a note from a spouse that says, I I don't want to be married to you anymore. What do we do? How do we handle that moment that doesn't make sense? When we lose our jobs, when life gets tough, when relationships get complicated, when people around us that we love get sick, These are not the better life that we had hoped for. So how do we make sense of things like that? And let's just add to that just in general. Because sometimes just even everyday general things are hard to make sense of. How how do we make sense even out of some of the stuff that, that happened just on a normal day as we're living? How do we know what to do next? How do we know when to do it? How do we know when to say yes? How do we know when to say no? How do we make sense of this giant void, this section of my life? It's not my past, and it's not yet my future. And if you've been asking any of those questions, I just want to say great questions. <laughs> I, was, I want to say this. I knew you were brilliant. You are brilliant. Those are super smart, deep questions that we really should think about. And the best place for us to go for answers is to go to God. And let's see what God has to say about all of this. I love to read. I absolutely love to read. I do. Um, I don't do it as much as I should. And it's interesting because I know you do. You listen to a lot of books like Audible. You, you yes. do a lot of Audible, and um, I, I like to actually read. I do some Audible, but I'm more of a. I enjoy reading, and but I don't do it a lot. And it's interesting because when I start reading, I'm like, ah, I, I should do this more often. I really enjoy reading, but I, I like a lot of different styles of books. I like fiction, nonfiction, biographies, you know, all of that. And and I don't care what style of book you enjoy. I don't care. Uh, if you like fiction, nonfiction, I don't care if you like something uh, newer, if you like stuff from antiquity, it doesn't matter. The best story, which by the way is true, the best story, the best narrative that you're ever going to read and the most important story that you're ever going to read is in the Bible, and it's the story of redemption, God's story of redemption. And what is so cool about God's story of redemption is the fact that right now, in this moment, we find ourselves right in the middle of it. And I don't mean that from the perspective of we find ourselves as the central key characters of it. I don't don't mean that. Like, you know, 
I am the central key character in God's story of redemption, or Jesus is the... I don't mean that. I mean literally from a timeline perspective. We're in the middle of God's story of redemption, which I think is so interesting. We are right smack dab between the first and the second coming of Jesus. So we find ourselves right in the middle, kind of in the in-between, right? So the story of God's redemption, God's redemption story of his creation has a very, very clear beginning creation. Out of nothing, God creates everything. And his favorite part of that creation, of course, is, is mankind. It's Adam and Eve. In fact, it's the one part of creation that God says, that's, that's really good. That's very good. That's, that's a little special. I'm patting myself on the back on that one. I'm going to have an extra Mountain Dew on that one. That was uh, pretty tasty. <laughs> And which, by the way, is pretty tasty. Uh, but he said, that's really good. Mankind is my, that's my piece de resistance. That's it, right? So um, that was his favorite creation. And Adam and Eve lived in perfect um, community. They lived in perfect relationship with that creation. They lived in perfect relationship with creation, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another. Which I'm going to be honest, that's something I don't understand. My fallen mind, body, I don't get that. I don't understand how Adam and Eve could live in perfect harmony and perfect relationship with God. I don't understand that they could live in perfect relationship with one another. Like we talked about last week, if you'll remember, we talked about how uh, the metaphor that God uses in how our relationship with Jesus, uh, the Christ follower in Christ, is like the metaphor of marriage and how sometimes that can be a little sideways for us because uh, our understanding of marriage is in a fallen world. Well, I don't understand anything but a fallen creation. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship. Had everything they needed. It was perfect. And yet, they decided that they weren't content worshiping and obeying God. And as a result, and absolutely shocking, and how many times have you read it and gone, what? Why? I don't understand. I don't get it. In a shocking display of disobedience, they're going to step outside of God's plan. And sin floods into the world, it floods into them, and as a result, all of creation, where there was once love, worship, obedience, now it's been replaced with fear, anger, hate, depression, jealousy, selfishness, rebellion. Harley, when I was reading through that, when I was kind of going over that, I was thinking, you know, I understand fear, hate, anger, selfishness, rebellion a lot better than I understand love, worship, and obedience. You know, I understand it better. I get uh, fear. Fear makes sense to me. I can understand that emotion a lot better than sometimes I feel like I can grasp love. Uh, and, and where there was once love and worship and obedience, now you've got all this other stuff. And a creation that was once perfect is now filled with weeds and disease and decay and brokenness. But God's not content with his creation to remain broken. And so, of course, he sends Jesus. He sends himself. He, he, God himself, God the Son, God himself comes into creation to pay the ultimate price for the sin of the world and as a result redeem me, redeem creation from, the eternal, from eternal self-destruction. And so now that brings us up to this moment. That's where we're at. We find ourselves in that timeline of God's redemptive story. We find ourselves right here, right now in the great in-between. Between the time that Jesus came the first time, 
when he came as a sacrifice for my sins and when he's going to come back a second time and he's going to usher everything, all of creation, myself, Harley, anyone that is a follower of him, he's going to usher all of that into eternity. Okay, so with that in mind, we want to give you our first kind of big point today. We've got three of them. Big point number one says this. If you want to know where to go from here, the right now, the here and now, this moment, every moment of your life, if you want to know where to go moment by moment, then we really, if we want to know where to head out, what direction to take off in with our life, if we want to go the right direction, we really need to know our final destination. If you want to take the right step and go the right way, you need to know where you're headed, that final destination. And thankfully, God has already given us the final chapter, that final destination that we could, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we can go towards and move towards. We can literally flip to the end of the book and we can go, because he's given that to us. We can flip to the end and take a look. Do you, in your books, do you ever read the end first? When I was younger, I used you to. Did? I don't anymore, but I used to. You did, because you wanted to know where it was right. going and how to. So uh, some people do that. And in this case. I'll do that with movies. Like if I'm watching a movie and I can tell that maybe it's setting up for something I don't want, yeah. I'll Google it and say, does like the dog die? If the dog dies, I can't. <laughs> you know, or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Well, yeah. in this case, right. we can do that with our lives. We can know what's coming. We can know what is that end result, that final destination. We can't know everything about it, but we can know enough to take care of today and what I need to do today. We can flip to the end and we can take a look. It allows us to look inside of ourselves. It allows us to look ahead, to kind of look down the road. And then when we're there looking down the road at this final destination, from that point, we can then look backwards to the moment we just left. And when we look back there, we look back there with more understanding. We can look back there with more hope. You know, these things that don't make sense. If we will head this way, go to that final destination, think about that, look at that, and look backwards, things make more sense. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to kind of teach you how to do that. And so we're going to flip back and look at some of these last chapters. We're going to look at one very specific section of Scripture. It's in Revelation chapter 7. Just a handful of verses. We're going to start with verse 9. And I want you to, to go with me. We're going to mentally and emotionally, let's leave the here and now. And let's go way, way, way off into the future. We don't know when this is. God knows. But God gave this vision to John for him to write down, and he gave that for a time such as this. So for those who are in the in-between, from the between time of when Jesus came the first time to be a sacrifice and when he is going to one day come back for those who have chosen to follow him, okay? In the in-between time. So he gives us a glance, a snapshot, a picture of just one scene, one little scene that we're going to look at in the future, some point in the future. So we're going to leave today, we're going to leave tomorrow, the next tomorrow, the next tomorrow, somewhere in the future, and we're going to land right there and listen to this picture that John uh, saw, and 
then he tries to put words to it here in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. We're going to start with that. John says, after I saw, after this, I saw a vast crowd. He said, too great to count. I, I couldn't count them all if I tried. Too great to count. From every nation. That's, so we're talking global. From every nation, every tribe, and every people group, every language. And they were all standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. And we know the Lamb is Jesus. He was the sacrificial Lamb. So John is seeing this, all of these nations, this great, vast, too many to count, all standing before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, and they held palm branches in their hands. That's kind of foreign to us, the whole palm branch thing. It's only mentioned twice in the New Covenant here, and it's mentioned when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. We talked about that on Palm Sunday. You can picture palm branches in our day's language really as party balloons. <laughs> so everyone holding all these party balloons, all right? Verse 10, and they were shouting with a mighty shout. Now I want you to get an idea. I am not going to shout this morning. But do you understand what John is saying? That this group, too large to count from every nation, every tribe, every language, they were shouting, not just hollering. It was a mighty shout. If you can imagine the team who would never win the Super Bowl, the team who would never win the World Series, if it was your team and they finally won, you would be screaming, shouting. Yeah, that, that, that hit. That's what would happen. That'd be the Razorbacks. That, or if the Razorbacks won a game in twenty uh, in, in this century. Just a conference game. And so yeah. we've got – that's not a high school team. That they're, when they're not playing high school oh, teams. So you hear what I'm saying? They were shouting with a mighty shout. I, the roar of this would be deafening. They were shouting with a mighty shout. And here's what they were saying. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Oh, I just, I just want you to picture this is the scene that John is seeing and he's painting this as best he can with words. And then he says in verse 11, And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell, the angels now, they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving. It's as if they can't come up with enough words and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen, which means so be it. Verse 13, then one of the 24 elders asked me, so now they speak to John, who are these, all clothed in white? Where did they come from? And John says, and I said to him, well, sir, you're the one who knows. I, I, I don't know. You, you know. Then he said to me, so he answers the question, these are the ones. Now, this is just a small sample, by the way. All those he couldn't count, these are the ones who died in the Great Tribulation. And we don't have time to break that down. I just want to mention 
this great tribulation. It's a period of time where there will be the greatest, we think things are bad, the greatest, we think things have been bad, the Holocaust, we think things were bad, World War II, we think things were bad. No, no, no. This will be the worst time in the history of earth since the creation. And many of those who are left on the earth when Jesus comes back at the time of the rapture, that's not the second coming, by the way, that's just it's the rapture. When we are taken, those who are following Jesus while they're alive here on earth, they're taken, they're raptured up. I, I can't break all this down. The more I say, the more I'm leaving holes, but they're, they're taken at that time. Those who have not followed Jesus remain, and they experience this greatest most horrible time in all of human history. And those who do, while they remain here, those who do choose to follow Jesus will be abused beyond our ability to understand and tortured and killed. And here's what this elder is saying to John. He's implying here that this number of people that they are watching, this vast number, too many to count, the implication is, with these words that he uses in Greek, the implication is that this crowd in front of their very eyes is growing as they speak. It is getting larger and larger and larger as they speak, as if to say, People are dying in the tribulation right now who are followers of Jesus now and they are standing before you. You are seeing them appear. This crowd is getting larger. Wow. And here's what the elder says about them. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. It's the only case in all of the world where you can wash anything in blood and it become white. Only if it's the blood of Jesus. Wow. The blood of Jesus which covers us if you're a believer. Which washes us if you're a follower of Jesus. That blood alone is what makes us white as snow. Now we're going to continue these few more verses here. What we're going to see are some promises that we can, we can gather from what we're seeing. Verse 15. We're promised, if you're a follower of Jesus, when we make it to this point, we're promised a direct presence of God. Face to face, heart to heart. <laughs> a direct presence. Verse 15. He goes on, he says, that's why they stand in front of God's throne and they serve Him day and night in His temple. A direct presence of God. You're guaranteed that. You're promised that if you're a follower of Jesus. One day, a direct presence of God. We're also promised that then all of these negative things that Cole talked about with when, when sin entered into creation, those things are going to be gone. Those negative things things that we experience now related to sin that are here because of sin, they will be gone when we make it to this point here. He who sits on the throne will negative effects of sin are gone. Here's what he says. And he who sits on the throne 
will give them shelter. In other words, they don't have to ever worry again about where you're going to sleep if the bills are going to be paid. Shelter. Verse 16. They will never again be hungry. It's all taken care of. Thirsty. It's all taken care of. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. All of these negative things from the fall, from sin, they are gone when we stand here. And the redeemed, we, we have a promise of joy for all eternity. Verse 17, for the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. They don't have to worry. There's a lot of joy in that. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Wow. That is here. One day off in the maybe far, far, far out future. Or maybe not. We don't know when this time is. But we know it's in the future. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And that is a picture of our final destination. That's it. So if we today, in this very moment, want to take a step for our own lives in the right direction, then we have to point our lives toward that final destination. We have to do that right now, today. And with every decision we make, moment by moment by moment, day by day, we have to point our lives toward that final destination. And we take a step that way. With every decision we make, with everything that we actually say, we go that way. Right, and that kind of brings us around full circle to some degree to our big point number two, which is the details of our lives really only make sense when viewed from the perspective of our final destination. So I'll read, I'll read that one more time. The details of our lives, and we're talking about our lives right here in the, uh, in the in-between, in the gospel void that we've kind of started uh, talking about, the details of our lives right now in the gospel void really only make sense when viewed from the perspective of our final destination. And when we do that, when we kind of look forward to that eventuality that's coming as a follower of Jesus and we look at things from that perspective, then really there's no such thing as a completely hopeless situation. Because I'm not pursuing a religion. I'm not pursuing uh, a bunch of boxes that have to be checked. I'm not pursuing um, a specific thing that I have to do every day at a certain time or something that I have to do every year at a certain time of the year. I'm not pursuing even um, a set religious structure. I'm actually pursuing a personal redeemer who's alive. I'm not pursuing a religion. And as a result of that, there's really no completely hopeless situation because every opportunity, and, and I understand you're sitting there and, or you're sitting there watching at home and you're thinking, yeah, that's easy to say. It's a lot harder to do. And, and, and I understand that. I agree. I am certainly, we are certainly not sitting up here trying to insinuate or trying to make it seem like that we've got this thing licked so, so far from it. 
So far from it. But every opportunity, whether it is a great opportunity or it is a devastating situation, a devastating opportunity, is an opportunity for Jesus to make me look more like him. So that word opportunity is very, very important because everything is an opportunity, no matter if it is a positive or a negative. Because when I look at it through the lens or through the filter of it gives Jesus an opportunity to make me more like him, then it's an opportunity regardless of being negative or positive. We, in fact, we talked about in week one. We went, if you go back and listen or watch week one, you'll see we talked about as followers of Jesus, we've actually been given everything that we need for moment-by-moment living. We have the very nature of God living inside of us. We're follower of Jesus. We have the very nature of God living inside of us, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. So we have the ability, just like Jesus lived in that moment by moment surrender, we have that same ability as well. And to make sense of what's happening right now, in this moment, in the in-between, in the gospel void, whether it's a positive or a negative, whether it's things going well or things going horribly, to make sense of what's happening in the moment, it's imperative as a follower of Jesus, from my perspective, it's imperative that I look way down the road to that final destination that Harley just read about. And Harley just kind of, again, he, he no way, in no way could he really talk about that beyond what he, what he talked about. I mean, in like what you said, I mean, that it would just open up more holes than what you could ever accomplish in, in 60 in the limited amount of time that we have. But if we do look way down the road at that final destination that Harley talked about and that John saw and that he uh, told us about in the Revelation, and, and we get there and we kind of sit in that moment and in that spot, and we look around, and then you take it all in, and you really look at it for what it is. And Because I know me personally, and, and I can only speak from my experience, when I look at the Revelation, I look at it strictly from a prophetic perspective and just to see what's going to happen. I don't look at it from a perspective of, this is what I'm going to be doing. You know, and I think that's different. So this is the point. This is what it's all about. This is, uh, uh, my best friend and I, we, we have a term that we, we like to talk about. What's the end game, right? What's the end game? What's the point? What's the end game? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? That's it. That's the end game. So if that's the end game, and that's what it's all about, and that's what I'm going to be doing for eternity, and that's what I'm this whole Christ-following thing's about, and it's working me to that moment of my future and my eternity, then it can clarify my here and now, my moment-by-moment gospel void living. Take a look around, take it in, and then come back to the here and now, and things begin, I feel like things begin to make more sense. And as we're learning um, and, and we're beginning to see things more and more from God's perspective, because John was seeing from God's perspective, What's coming in my future? What's coming in my end game? What's, what's to come? What's the point? And that leads us to our big point number three, which is this. Our final destination, which, by the way, Final Destination is a movie. Uh, you know, and, and when you were putting that in, I kept saying Final Destination, Final Destination. I had to, like, remove myself from Final Destination. Because anybody who's ever followed a log truck knows, don't follow a log truck. <laughs> Right, and if you've never seen the movie, we, you, you know what I'm talking about. Al knows. We, we follow a Don't lot follow of a log, log trucks toward Malvern. <laughs> but our big point number three, our final destination, 
teaches us what is really important in the here and now. So if that down there, that down the road, if that's the point, if that's the end game, if that's why we're doing all this, then right now, this moment, these decisions become clearer. How does the final chapter change the way that we respond to the chapters in between? I love that because really as a follower of Jesus, it's all just a big book. It's all just a big book filled with a lot of chapters. My life's just a big book filled with chapters. And chapter 1 is when Jesus came the first time. His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. That's chapter 1. Now some would say, well, chapter 1 is creation. For me as a Christ follower, my chapter 1 is right there. Jesus' first coming. That's when it all became possible. And now I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle of this first coming, second coming. And I'm somewhere in the middle, in the middle chapters. The last chapter, we know. Harley's already talked about it. He, he, John fleshed it out for us. We know what the last chapter says. We know what the first chapter was. And really, all that's left is the middle in between. What, what am I doing with the middle chapters? And so, when I look at the last chapter, how does the last chapter affect these chapters that I'm writing today, that I'm writing right now? How does the final chapter tell me really what's worth living for and what is worth dying for? Which sometimes can be difficult to think through as an American follower of Jesus, but around the world, in other parts of the world, for followers of Jesus, that's a legitimate question. What's worth living for and what's worth dying for? When we look at the final chapter, and we look, and what we see in that final chapter is me at the throne of Jesus, worshiping Jesus, adoring Jesus, and that's, that's it, that's the end game. And then I look back to the here and now, and I ask myself, What's more valuable? What, what's the more valuable thing to do in this moment? What's the wise thing to do in this moment? In light of what's happening over there in the future, in the final chapter, in the final destination, in light of that, what's the right thing for me to do right here, right now? Because everything we do has a reason and has a goal. We, we made that, I think, we made that pretty clear in the very beginning. We all have hopes and dreams. Every one of us. We didn't wake up this morning hoping that we were going to have a flat tire. None of us. We all have hopes and dreams, short-term, mid-term, long-term goals. We all want something good out of life. So if everything that we do has a purpose, and everything that we do, we have a goal in mind, and we're all trying to accomplish something, it's all different for all of us, but we're all trying to accomplish something. Then if we look at the last chapter that Harley read about and that John told us about, way down the road, and we look at the moment that we're in right now, and then we ask ourselves, does my reason for doing that, does it reflect God's reason? Does my purpose for making that decision, does it reflect God's purpose? Does my goal that I'm working toward, my hopes and dreams, because remember, our hopes and dreams can really reveal a lot about us. Does, do, do my hopes and dreams, do my goals, what I want to accomplish, where I'm trying to get to, where I'm trying to really get to, what I'm really trying to accomplish, the goal that I'm really trying to get to, does it reflect God's goal using the end game, the final destination, as my filter? in the here and now. It has everything to do with looking at the here and now from the perspective of the final chapter. 
our change process that we go through on this life, in this life, it does not revolve around a spiritual, religious system. It revolves around the person who redeems, Jesus. Now, here's our bottom line for today. It only makes sense, today only makes sense by looking way past my tomorrows and then looking back to my today. Does that make sense? I I hope it does after Cole's explanation there. Today only makes sense by looking way past my tomorrows and then looking back to my today. Let me give you an example. Um, Let's say you lost your job. Now, instead of uh, getting lost in that reality of the moment and, and doing what we would want to do naturally, which would be to panic, instead of that, we run down to the last chapter. And we get to that chapter and we look around for ourselves. As Cole said, that's where we will be if we're a follower of Jesus. We get to that last chapter and we look around and we realize, you know what, I, I'm going to be standing at the throne of Jesus. Not a spirit, Jesus. Jesus. I will be there. I will be among those shouting a mighty shout. I'll be there. So I've lost my job. I run down here and I look. What does that final chapter look like? How am I going to be involved there? What is it going to be like? What's the reality of that? And from there, I look back at my current situation. This was just a job that got me to this point. And I realize there will be another job to get me to the next point. Perhaps, if I'm being honest with myself, I might even realize this. Perhaps that moment where I want to panic is because I realize in this moment that I really, maybe, perhaps for me, maybe I have been building and working on my kingdom. I've been using my job to build my kingdom. But God wants to build His kingdom. And and when I'm over here looking at all of the people in my mind, what what we just read, uh, from every nation and every tribe and every language, God is building His kingdom. And I look back over here and I realize I need to be building His kingdom. So in this moment, I begin to settle down because I'm looking at it from this perspective. And I begin to settle down. I begin to realize I need to join Him. And this next job, whatever it's going to be, and whenever it happens, I begin to decide I'm going to be committed to follow His lead. And allow this job to help me build His kingdom. And you know why? Because today only makes sense by looking way past my tomorrows and then looking back to my today. 
Here's another example. Your doctor says it's irreversible. I mean, he's going to work hard, or she, and they're going to try to slow it. But eventually it's going to take your life. Now, in my humanness, my sinful side of Harley, I'm thinking I've been abandoned by God. If he's going to abandon me, I'm going to abandon him. And maybe I'm tempted to walk away from him. But wait, that's the here and now. I, I need to make more sense of what doesn't make sense. So I need to run past my right now. And, and go past many, many, many tomorrows, and let's get to the end, and let's take a look around here at the end. And John was told that he was looking at people from the great tribulation. And as I look and I see, I realize what they have suffered, what they have endured to get to this point here think about that I, I, I think about my own parents who are there right now at this very moment so I look ahead and I think about my dad and I, I think about what he endured in this life he too had that diagnosis that did eventually take his life My mom got that diagnosis that eventually took her life. But I even look beyond just health, and I I look at what my parents lived through themselves. Well, they were just on this earth. And I think to myself, as I look past many tomorrows, and I, I, I think, wow, wow. I'm beginning to understand that God... He's the one who started this work in my mom and started this work in my dad and started this work in all of those who went through that great tribulation as I look ahead into that one specific picture. And I can look back and realize that's the very same God who started His work also in me inside of me, inside of you. That work of day by day, moment by moment, making you, making me look more and more like Jesus. And guess what? He is going to continue that work until He is done. Not done with you. I'm done with you, no. Until he's really done as an artist, as a masterpiece. Until he's done with you in that moment when you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, will be standing before Jesus at that throne. That's when he's done with you and the masterpiece is finished. He's not going to stop before he's done. And only he knows that exact moment for you. And for me. And so because we run down here to this position. And we look around. And then we look back at our moment. We realize we can trust him. He never left my mom. He never left my dad. 
He's never going to leave me. He began a work in me, and he will continue that work until he's done. And guess what? And then we are into eternity. Today only makes sense by looking way past my tomorrows and then looking back at my today. Here's another one. You get a text message that says, I'm not coming home. I'm done with this marriage. Now, the natural side, the weak human side of us would want to probably dive into a deep, deep depression. But we're beginning to understand. We've got to run down to the end. Past tomorrow, past the next tomorrow. Run past many tomorrows. We need to get down here to eternity in our mind and in our heart and in our thinking. And we need to look around here in eternity. And what do we see? Right now, what do, what do we see? And then we look back to the right now. And we understand this. As we look around... We see those who are there. We see those who are there who are shouting and proclaiming Jesus as King. Worshipping Jesus. And we understand that's not where they started. Whatever struggles they had back here, they did not bring with them here. That's not where they started. What they're experiencing here, grace has brought them to this point where they are here worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Grace brought them there. And so we look back over here at that text message, at the reality that is involved with that, the horrible reality involved with that. And we understand Grace is a process. Grace is a means to an end. It will get us to that end. What we experience here, right now, in that moment, that is not the end. And that is not going to last. It may feel like it, but it's not. It's just a part of our journey. And we will make it to the end. Grace will get us there. And as bad as this is right now, and as much as this may be out of your control and out of my control, you are connected to the very source of grace. And He is not going to let you go through this alone. You see? Today only makes sense by looking way past my tomorrows and then looking back to my today. Because of eternity, Cole already said it, there is no 
completely hopeless situation right now. So let's go back to the here and now. What does all of this have to do with the here and now? And we, we just very simply have been asking you to once again take with us the 60-60 experiment. Would you just simply set a silent reminder on your phone or on a watch, somehow, something to remind you, maybe a sticky note. I don't know what it is. Give yourself a reminder so that at least, at the very least, once every hour of your awake day for 60 days, so it's the 60, every 60 once every 60 minutes for 60 days of your awake day, when that alarm, when that reminder goes off, when you see that reminder, this week we want you to ask this question specifically to Jesus. Jesus, are you giving me an opportunity right now to be more like you? And the only way we really know the answer to that question is if we will run past all those tomorrows and look and see what is happening around the throne of Jesus and who is there and what they're doing as they worship Jesus. And we look at that moment and we take it in and we look back now to this moment here. Jesus, are you giving me an opportunity right now to be more like you? If you will join us in doing that, you along with me, Cole, and many other people, you will be showing, not to the world, we're not worried about that at this moment, you will be showing to God that your life is becoming a love song to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you know all of my thoughts. You see through my skin. And yet, still, even though you know that and you see that, you still come to me. And so I sing a love song to you. And this is a love song to you. Jesus, my life is a love song to you. Amen.